This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to the inspirational, informational, and transparent Aviation Careers Podcast. Back in episode 156, from principal to pilot, we spoke with Tim Lake about his career change and journey towards an airline career. At the time, Tim had taken the leap from vice principal to flight instructor, and now he's ready for the next stage in his career. Recently, Tim was hired by a regional airline, and we continue discussing his career progression and what he's learned during his journey. You know, many of you have asked for a follow-up on the career path of those who have been on the show or those stories we've shared through correspondence. If you have a career update or, or want to be part of the show, either in an interview like this or just writing in your story to be shared with others so that others can benefit from that story, please email us at feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Uh, and also other questions, uh, send them in to feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. I know we're about four or five months behind on the questions, uh, but we're trying to keep up and catch up. Uh, we're, we're thinking about going possibly to maybe two a week on the show because of the fact we're so behind on just the questions. Try to you know, pick up on that. Well, we really appreciate Tim Lake and all those who share their stories so others can be inspired and learn from their journey to their dream job. Well, Tim, thanks again for, for coming on the show. It's, it's great to hear from you again. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited. Cool. And uh, we're going to get started here in a second. Oh, quick announcement. Uh, we have an update to uh, the Aerospace Scholarships Guide. Of course, this month, there's been a couple of new scholarships that are in there. We've gotten rid of some of the scholarships that are no longer available. So don't forget, you can get that at aviationcareerspodcast.com slash courses. Uh, and also all the career coaching and the interview uh, preparation we have there also. So go to aviationcareerspodcast.com, click on the courses page there. Tim, man, this is uh, what was really cool. Just a, a little background here. Uh, we spoke with Tim uh, back in 156, and one of the things that was kind of was really cool is you were we moved, did our move to our studio here in Lakeland, and uh, thanks again to our friends at Shelter for sponsoring us. And Tim actually did something different; he actually flew out to have an interview. So Tim was like the first person to ever fly to Lakeland Airport to uh, actually visit with us. So that was that was really cool, wasn't it, Tim? Oh, it was great. Uh, any any excuse I can come up with to fly, I'm going to take it. Yeah, it was a long journey. A boy came in like uh, the middle of the night, and uh, that that was kind of interesting. But uh, but anyway, so so Tim, you actually uh, are a flight instructor, and uh, just give us a quick recap um, of your career since uh, we last last spoke on 156, where uh, you were just making that change. Okay. Well, the the last time we spoke, I was just getting started as a flight instructor. As I remember, I think I was just a couple months into uh, a couple months after I'd gotten my CFI initial, and then uh, just a couple weeks after that, I got my CFII, and I was putting my uh, student roster together, and uh, really just at the beginning of that process, and, uh, learning how to be an instructor for the most part, and. Uh, so at that point, I probably had somewhere around 300 hours, and just yesterday, I have crossed uh, 1,400 hours, so I'm well on my way to that magic number. Wow, that's awesome, and that uh, was in the time frame, oh gosh, I can't remember now, but... Uh, it was actually a year ago yesterday, if I remember right. <laughs> yeah, wow, really? Gosh, that's yeah. quick. That's awesome. Yeah, well, I you know I found a place where uh, you know the, the owner of the flight school assured me that I'd be able to get as many 
flight hours as I as, as my schedule could handle, and uh, I trusted him on that, and he came through with it. I'm I'm getting about a hundred hours a month. Wow, wow. So uh, so you're getting a hundred hours of instruction per month. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, as far as the uh, instruction, now when you say a hundred, you mean uh, flight hours? Do you also include uh, ground hours in that? Well, I'm just talking about flight hours, but I, I also do ground in that as well. So uh, for people that are talking about a career as a flight instructor, I think this is an important point. So you get paid as an instructor when you are flight instructing, but also in ground instruction. And uh, by the way, uh, Flight Training Magazine had a really good uh, uh, survey about this as far as um, what you do you get paid when you are instructing in the plane? Do you get paid when on the ground or both and at what rate? So uh, with that question, um, so how does that work for you? Uh, what, do you what happens when you actually instruct both on the ground and the air? Uh, it's the same rate either way. And, uh, you know, you, you have to have the prop spinning or you have to be in the classroom. And, uh, you know, sometimes people complain about the in-between times. But, you know, that's just the nature of the business. Uh, you don't get paid to fuel the airplane. You get paid to fly it. So, uh, but, you know, on, on a normal day, if you're if you're doing full-time work and you're you're putting eight or nine hours in, then you can, you know, if you if you manage your schedule correctly, you can expect to get about, I don't know, four to five hours of flight time in there. And also get paid for, you know, upwards of 80 and even more doing the ground time, the simulator time, that type of thing. Uh, so you can actually, I guess the point I'm trying to make is you can actually uh, make a living if you have to uh, flight instructing as long as you get enough students. Absolutely. Yeah. You have to uh, manage your schedule well and get it filled up. And personally, I decided uh, that I wanted to get this done as quickly as I possibly could. So uh, my goal was 100 hours a month. And uh, in order to reach that, I did have to uh, make a commitment to work six days a week, which, you know, temporarily I, I don't have any problem doing uh, just to, you know, to make it to the ultimate goal. So six days a week, that's a lot of work. Um, that's quite a few days. It, it is. But, uh, you know, I'm also uh, working mostly just business hours. Uh, I'm a family man, got a, a small child at home and a wife. And so uh, I wanted to make sure, I, at, at least to the best of my ability, I could keep a regular schedule so I could uh, have a family schedule as well. Of course, there are those times when you have to fulfill nighttime requirements for private students and things. But, uh, you know, I've, I've made it work pretty well for me. So with that said, the, um, the other thing that we're looking at is the fact that you were, you know, looking at the, the possibility of, say, getting the, the flight time in, and you were looking also at the area that you instruct in. So this is an important point I want to make. You are lucky enough to be in an area that's uh, a, a bigger city, so you actually haven't had to move. Is that correct? Uh, I have not had to move. Are you, are you talking about for a flight instructor job? Yeah, your instructor job. Right. Yeah, uh, I have... Uh I actually live five minutes away from uh, the an airport that hosts the two busiest flight schools in the state where I live. And uh, one of those is a Part 141 that's affiliated with the university. And uh, the one that I'm working for is Part 61, just right next door to it. And so it's a it's a non-towered airport, and it's uh, pretty much the Wild West around there. <laughs> so importantly, when you're getting a job as an instructor, luckily you're in an area that has a lot of students. Some people may have to move to actually uh, to gain a job as an instructor where you can actually get a full schedule. Uh, you did some research, like you said, and they told you, boy, you know, you, you will not have a problem getting hours. And, and they were right, weren't they? 
Uh, absolutely. There's uh, quite a lot of flight training that goes on around here. And it's not Florida, by the way. <laughs> that's right. usually where the busiest flight schools are. And uh, so, and that's, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because one thing I wanted to mention was the fact that uh, you can look around and find uh, flight schools with very varying pay rates. Uh, I don't know if that's the right way to say that, but uh, you can find uh, a flight school around here that pays double what mine pays. Uh, And it looks attractive, but then when you start digging into the details, you find out they're not really busy enough to support a full-time schedule and you might not get anywhere nearly enough hours that you're looking for. And so I've chosen uh, the lower pay rate, but getting to the goal quicker. So that's a great point is we're not, and we're in that period of our life where we're looking at building hours more than making money. But with that said, you actually would be in a position that you're might possibly be making more than the school that has uh, less students and is slower uh, just by working more hours. So that's a great, great point. One thing that I think uh, a lot of folks are, are thinking about is, gosh, you know, the, the pay rate and being able to get hours in. You made this great point. You're not in Florida. You're actually, uh, we can mention you're in Tennessee. And uh, most people don't associate that area uh, with a large amount of flight instructing. But like you said, there there's opportunities there. So if you're somebody that's in an area that's in the middle of the country where there aren't many opportunities for flight instruction, I, I you know, we always mention, you know, the California, that Arizona, Florida, and parts of Texas for the flight instruction schools to make a lot of times. Uh, but you can also look at other places like, like where you are. And I think that's important is kind of reach out and look at some of the, the larger cities and some of the mid-sized cities that have the bigger schools like yours has. And I, I think that's a, you're a wonderful example of how you don't have to be in a, in a you know, Florida environment or in Arizona to actually make a living as a flight instructor or to build the hours. Oh, that's right. And then, you know, Tennessee weather is not quite the same as Florida weather or some of those other places you mentioned. Uh, but uh, that uh, that's a good segue into one of my recommendations for today was uh, get that CFII as soon as possible uh, because I, I've done I, I've had many weeks uh, where everybody else seems to be on the ground other than the CFIIs who are flying you know with instrument students. A great great recommendation for a couple of reasons too. Number one, you can fly more, which I like. Do you think also, and um, I'm going to lead you into this question, do you think that helps you or helped you with uh, getting ready for the next stage, which is getting hired with a regional? Oh, I couldn't agree with that or affirm that uh, enough because uh, I believe it was on your show that I heard from uh, recruiters, or it might have been just you mentioning secondhand that uh, you know airlines – when asked what are, what what's the biggest deficiency that people are showing up with, they'll mm-hmm. say instrument skills. And uh, so instrument skills are quick to go if you don't use them. And uh, and boy, I use them all the time teaching instrument students. And so, you know, the best way to the the best way to build and maintain skills is to teach them. So uh, let's let's talk to that point. One of the things that I've been doing a lot of coaching with lately, and this has happened before during periods of high hiring in the past is the fact that we found we're having a lot of people that have no instrument skills because of the fact that they've been flying banners or doing some really cool flying out in the bush, that type of thing with with not doing many approaches. And one of the things I think is really important, 
And one way to get ready for that, uh, that new position at an airline where it's all instrument all the time is go out, get your double eye like you suggested. Also jump in a simulator, get a, a, you know, an online simulator, get those procedures down. Uh, I know it sounds funny, but it really actually does help. And a lot of schools have simulators where you can get with an instructor and just go through the gambit and, and get back into the flying of IFR, then get in the airplane, get in the environment and fly in the actual environment because there is a difference you got to build those skills those physical skills of flying again but you also have to learn how to fly in the actual environment and that's where the double eye oh it's a big big help when you move on to the airlines and get ready for the interview because you know tim you you've been in the environment haven't you oh absolutely and uh it it is so important and it's and it's also very easy to, uh, well, let me say it this way. It's very difficult to even just maintain currency as a uh, CFI who does not teach instrument instruction. Uh, because you know, if, you, if you think about what a normal everyday CFI does, there's not a whole lot of opportunities uh, you know, to, to maintain those skills unless you happen to have your own airplane or you just decide you want to go out and rent one every now and then, which, you know, again, uh, that's, that's expensive to do even with employee discounts. And so, um, you know, I know a lot of CFIs who just simply can't seem to maintain their, their currency in instrument skills. Another reason to get your double I and the, the interview when uh, I'm doing a lot of interview prep, I can usually tell the people that are double eyes because they they get the answers on the instrument questions. There's gonna, you're going to have those questions. Also, even if you're a double eye, let's add to that some of the instrument questions you're going to get um, really in the, in the interview for the airline don't really have much with the operating environment you're in. For instance, the holding speeds at altitude, that type of thing, and airspeed. So it is a good idea, even if you do have your double eye, to kind of refresh, just like you when you took your check ride. That's what's going to happen during your interview, is uh, to be prepared for those type of questions. Uh, so anyway, so you, you've got the double eye. You've been building hours. And uh, one of the things that's really super exciting right now is that you're kind of on to this next step. Uh, you have, with a regional airline, a conditional job offer. Is that correct? That is correct. Well, congr- congratulations on that, by the way. Well, thank you. <laughs> and thank you for your help, by the way. I'll just give you a, a shameless plug here. Your coaching was extremely helpful in getting prepared for that. Awesome. Well, I'm glad it worked, and uh, I'm glad it's worked out so far. Uh, and now, so so where are you? Explain you know, how it is you got hired at the number of hours you're at now and what it is you need to do next to get on uh, with the airline. Uh, well, the, uh, the airline that I've gotten the uh, job offer from actually came to visit our flight school and at that time I was the manager of the flight school and the chief flight instructor and uh, so I kind of made the arrangements for them to come and give their visit and since we are such a large flight school we've had several regional airlines come and do this very same thing they'll send an HR representative and maybe a first officer and give a little PowerPoint presentation we'll invite all our uh, employees and students who are interested in airlines to come and uh, and be a part of that and uh, so at, at the end of this particular presentation the uh, the lady with HR took down a list of names of people who are interested in I guess joining their database or you know any anybody who might be interested in that airline um, and that was probably about six or seven months ago and since then uh, this same lady has called me once a month to check and see you know what number? Where, where am I with my hours? How many hours a month am I getting? Uh, at what point do I expect to be finished? And am I still interested? And all these things. And finally, when I got to a certain point, about 
uh, I guess it was two months ago, uh, she said, well, if you're still interested, we'd love to fly you up here for an interview. And uh, that was probably at about the 1200, 1250 mark. And uh, so I, I accepted and went right up there and had my interview. So there's a couple things um, you need to do. Uh, now, you're not eligible for the uh, reduced hours for the ATP, for the restricted ATP. You need to get your 1,500 hours. You're not there yet. And I think last we spoke, I'm not sure if you had your multi-engine rating and you need to get some hours there. So explain a little bit about that situation. Uh, yes. Uh, well, I was a little bit late in getting the multi-engine rating because uh, – we just happened to have uh, an, one particular instructor, multi-engine instructor at my school that uh, was extremely popular, probably the, the number one recommended instructor in this area. And so he and that one multi-engine airplane that we had at our school stayed extremely busy, and I just couldn't get a hold of it. And so when I finally was able to, to squeeze enough hours in and get my proficiency together, and I took my check ride, I believe it was in June, mid-June this year, um, and so now I'm, I'm to the point where I'm just building my last few multi-engine hours that are required by the airline. I've got, uh, I had 17 more to go and then I just flew all day a couple days ago, uh, got nine multi-engine hours. And so I suppose I have about eight more to get. So you said something about being required by the airlines. Uh, so for those that don't understand, what do you mean by that? Uh, well, they have minimum requirements in many different categories. Of course, there's the 1,500 total hours uh, for somebody that does not qualify for the restricted ATP. Uh, but there's also a requirement of either 25 or 50 multi-engine hours. There's a certain number of cross-country uh, PIC hours that you need. In my case, that's 500. Uh, so there's a there's a list of things to research on any particular airline. And they're, as far as I can tell with what I've looked at, they're all pretty similar. Uh, some require more multi than others, you know, but uh, but most of the requirements are pretty similar. So one of the things that airlines are doing now is getting you some of your multi time in the simulator. That's uh, true. Uh, yeah, I, I was uh, I was told that I could show up six hours short on multi, and that I would get that covered in the simulator. So another thing that's been happening is, and I think it's the one you've been hired by and some others, What's uh, they're so busy in training, they've actually had to send people home. And they've said, hey, we'll cut you a check to get the rest of your hours. Uh, so this is something that's unprecedented in the past with airlines. I mean, it's phenomenal uh, what's been happening. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I'm sitting here looking at what we're talking about saying, wow, this this really hasn't happened much in the past in the aviation industry. Oh, right. And the, uh, the, the airline I'll be working for has an offer to some people, uh, depending on your situation. Uh, they'll, they'll actually take care of your last 100 hours. Uh, and I, I'm not sure exactly how they do that. I, I'm told that they, they find a place to send you where you can just go get those 100 hours Um uh, maybe flight instructing or, or something like that. But uh, when they looked at uh, the pace that I was on, they said, well, you don't really need that. You can do this on your own. <laughs> so. Right. So another thing, too, about your multi, and let's circle back to that, getting your rating. You were in the same predicament that a lot of people are in, where you're in a local area, you're busy, you're flight instructing. The person that can do your check ride, they're really busy. Um, I personally had the same problem. Uh, what I did is I just stopped. I said, okay, guys, I'm leaving. I'll be back in another week. Went and got my multi-commercial, got my multi-instructor, and then came back. Is that something that kind of went through your head uh, during this process? And is that something you might suggest to somebody if they really can't get it done? 
Uh, I was actually somewhat close to having to make that decision. I, I really didn't want to do something like that because, uh, you know, I, I had a really busy schedule with my students. I didn't want to put them a week behind by doing that. But uh, but I was getting to crunch time there where I just I was going to have to do something. And then finally I was able to make it happen. Another uh, consideration for me was the discount that I was able to get, employee discount on the rental of the airplane. Uh, multi-engine airplanes are not uh, not at all cheap to rent, and so I had to – uh, do the best I could with that. But I was able to finally get it done, and I was happy about that. But I did consider uh, what you said, where I had to just do something more uh, uh, aggressive to get it done. So another question that we get during this whole process of discussing the multi-engine is, um, you know, we get this all the time, like, should it would multi-engine time look better than single-engine time? Uh, yeah, of course it does, but is it really necessary? And it, as you can see with Tam and other people that have been hired, uh, you don't really need to build a lot of multi-engine time. Like in the past, uh, it used to be you had to have a 500 hours of multi time. That's out the window. Uh, having zero multi time, you can actually even get a, a an offer, a conditional offer at an airline now. So it really has changed quite a bit. Um, so I'm not sure if that's gone through your mind too, when you were making this decision to possibly get the multi-engine earlier than you did. Uh, it did. And you know, the, that colleague of mine I spoke of who, uh, was the multi-engine instructor, that's pretty much all he did the entire time he was a flight instructor. He had a few, uh, primary and instrument students, but, uh, he showed up at his interview well, with the same airline, by the way. And, uh, he had, uh, I want to say he had over 800 multi-engine hours and a total of 1,500. And, uh, yeah, that I'm sure that looked really great on his resume, and I'm sure there was no question that they were attracted to that. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I didn't have any more trouble than he did getting uh, getting a conditional job offer just because of the environment these days. I mean, as, uh, as long as your credentials are together and uh, nothing crazy shows up in your background check, I think you're good. So that was the other thing, too, is the fact that in these days, we talk about these times, it's different than it was before. And does multi help? Sure, it does, especially if in the future something changes and they're not hiring as much. So uh, that that's looking down the line. But if you're just trying to get the hours and want to get hired with an airline, I, you know, getting the multi time uh, and you don't have the money, it's not really worth it. Just get get the rating and move forward for those that can afford it. Yeah, that's terrific. Uh, so that that's something that just to think about. You have to look at your own situation. In others, what, what I'm trying to say there. You actually, though, had done something a little bit different than most. Just to recap, you actually went out and owned your own airplane and leased it back. Do you still have that aircraft? I do still have it. Yes, sir. And uh, so you got your. I think it was a, a 172N model. Is that right? I can't remember now. It's a Papa model. Papa, okay. So you were able to use that aircraft. And let's just talk a little bit about that because this question comes up a lot and revisit. Is it worth it to buy an airplane and uh, when you're in training to lease it back, et cetera? Well, it depends on uh, your situation and what, uh, what kind of vacancies might be available in a flight school fleet. Uh, I happen to just be very fortunate when I, uh, when I started my private training. And I stumbled upon this information that uh, airplane or that uh, flight schools tend to lease airplanes sometimes, and they don't own their entire fleet. Um, that just blew my mind. And uh, I talked to the owner of the flight school, and he mentioned, "Well, you know, it just so happens that I'm needing a 172 right now because this one that he points at out the window is going away soon." And uh, so I I said, 
wait a minute, let me get this straight. If I had a 172 that I owned that met the specifications for your flight school, you'd be interested in leasing it from me? And then we start talking about details. And he said, yes, absolutely. And uh, he later shared with me that he has the same conversation with students uh, probably about twice a week. And uh, after all these years of him, he's been doing this for eight years. And after all these years, there's only one person that's ever followed through with it. And that was me, which uh, it really blows my mind. I don't know why that is. But, uh, yeah, I went right out and found myself a suitable airplane and bought it. And I just, thankfully, I had the credit to do that. I uh, didn't have money laying around to do that, that's for sure. And uh, But, I, you know, the, the, the airplane has supported itself with the uh, monthly lease payments uh, and uh, or monthly loan payments, I should say. And then uh, the flight school takes care of maintenance and insurance and a place to store it. And uh, I really don't have to do anything but fly it when I want to and uh, major upgrades. So when you're this leaseback situation is the fact that you actually own the aircraft at the flight school that you're flying or working for, uh, and you're leasing it back to that flight school. That's what they mean by lease back. Uh, so, uh, there's a lot of information by the way on the internet about leasebacks. I think ALPA has some interesting, uh, different things that you can look at as far as a the situation. There's a lot that goes into it. Um, but with, with your situation, cause we do, we get this question all the time. Should I just, you know, buy a plane, fly it off, that kind of thing. It all depends on your situation. Um, I have a gentleman that has a lot of cash and wanted to build the hour. So he bought a 172, he paid cash for it, flew it for, you know, 1400 and something hours, got higher with an airline. Uh, if that's your situation, terrific. If it's not, uh, what you did is, is a great situation. Many of you who are starting off in life that don't have the credit buildup or the cash, it may not be a situation at all for you, but it actually, <clears throat> it usually works out fairly well. The question I hear a lot, is it true that you can, get hours for free by doing a lease back and how many do you get uh get hours by just by owning the airplane and flying that for your training is that what you're asking yeah and i think i think what the real the question that we get what they mean by that question is you know does it actually pay for itself or do i well if i lease it back does it like make money so that i could get my flight training for free etc and i'd like you to answer that one oh sure well and i've i've heard from other people I've seen on Facebook posts and forums and things like that where you know people are recommending against that because it's just hard to even break even. Um, I, I have not experienced that at all. In fact, it's been just the opposite for me. Uh, you know, Like I said, the airplane has paid for its own monthly loan payment. It's paid for um, it, it really all of my training since I bought it because not only do I uh, not have to rent the airplane to fly it for training, but it makes money per hour when other people are flying it, and so I've been able to pay all of my instruction, or when I've had to uh, when I've had to rent the multi-engine airplanes or complex airplanes for other ratings. Uh, that airplane has paid for every bit of my training, which uh, you know that was one of my biggest concerns when I started. Is uh, where was I going to come up with all of that money that you know that you have to come up with in order to get all these ratings? You know, just to get to your uh, commercial check ride at 250 hours, I mean, that's that's a lot of hours to rent an airplane. And so, um, but uh, that airplane has paid for all of that and then some. And I've got uh, now I've got enough money just sitting in the bank that the airplane has made in order to pay for its own engine overhaul. What's going to happen probably in the next year or so. And so uh, I, I can't say the same thing as I've read other people saying. I've had nothing but a great experience with it. So here's the, the real point here is it depends when, when someone asks that question, it all depends on your situation. 
Do you have an aircraft that is going to actually make a profit based on a lot of times acquisition costs? I mean, if you put a $700,000 single engine aircraft online, it might be more difficult possibly to make money with that than something else that is a workhorse. And also, you know, you really have to, you have to do the numbers, don't you? Oh, absolutely. And I had a spreadsheet that I created. Uh, I, I asked the uh, owner of the flight school, how many hours do you think this airplane will get? He gave me an estimate. Um, and I just crunched all the numbers and I, I, you know, they, they looked very favorable to me. So, uh, I went ahead and pulled the trigger and, but yes, it, you know, it's a very popular training airplane. It gets probably somewhere around a hundred hours a month, just like I do. And, uh, you know, and, and that's not going to be that way in every situation. If you get a, a school that's not quite as busy, maybe it would be more difficult to, uh, you know, to have it to make any money. But uh, according to the spreadsheet that I developed, I knew that if I made, if that airplane flew at least 17 hours a month, then I would break even. And so to me, it seems like it should be pretty easy to find a place to get 17 hours a month. Right. And that's a topic for a whole nother podcast is, you know, should you get a lease back and buy an airplane and do a lease back. And uh, we may even have that discussion again and get a little more granular on that. But we want to concentrate on your your career and also how it helps others. And and this is a, a great, you know, segue into now what? I mean, now, uh, and this, this also has to do with the, the lease back too, is, you know, what is, you know, what's your next step in your career and, and what are you going to do with the airplane? Well, it's funny. A lot of people ask me that question. Um, I, I hope to keep the airplane right where it is because it is an income generator. And uh, and beyond that, I like to be able to just drive down the street about five minutes and hop in an airplane and fly that I own. And so I pay for gas. That's about it. And uh, so, and, you know, as long as as long as you keep it, as long as it's useful for the flight school, I, I'm planning on keeping it there. So when people say, what, you're crazy, you're making money with an airplane, it can happen. I mean, there's flight schools that have been in business for 30, 40 years, and there are people that have been in the flight school business for many years. You know, honestly, it's like anything else. You know, people will tell you, hey, you can't make any money in that, that arena. You know, don't even bother looking at it. Or you can't make money in the, in the restaurant business. Now, if you're somebody with a lot of experience in the restaurant business, then you probably can make money. If you're someone with a lot of experience doing leasebacks and doing a flight school, yeah, you probably could make money. It all depends. And, and the most important thing is exactly what Tim has done. He's actually planned, put a business plan together, and made the numbers work. So, uh, so that's the advice there. It can happen. You do hear the horror stories of people getting stuck with an airplane. They're going off to training, and now they have to manage this airplane uh, during their training. For someone who's got a lease back, that shouldn't be too bad because someone's doing all the work for you, aren't they? That's right. I mean, I, I'm not the operator of the airplane. I'm the owner. And all I have to do essentially is collect a check once a month. Interesting. Interesting. Well, that's awesome. So let, let's look at where you are now. You're pretty darn close uh, to finishing up uh, at the school that you're at. So let's talk a little bit about the transition and the next step. Number one, uh, and we hear this question a lot from people, is like, what do you do when you do get that offer? I mean, how do you handle your current students? Well, I, I made the lofty goal uh, when I got my offer that I was going to uh, try to finish out every student that I have. Uh, and so it was lofty, and I, I figured there was a way maybe I could do that. Well, since then, I've, uh, I've wised up and realized that's just uh, too much to try to do. Uh, so I've got, 
probably about 13, 14 students right now. Uh, I've got half of them have their check rides scheduled, and I plan on seeing them through that. And the rest of them, I've already started making plans and introducing them to another flight instructor that I'm recommending for them. And But I'm sticking with them for as long as I can and then uh, making a, a nice transition from there. Most of them are going to be pretty close to being finished. And so, uh, I, you know, it's not going to be that big a deal. And, you know, for instrument students, I find that uh, making a transition for instrument students is not really uh, quite as uh, traumatic, I hate to use that word, as uh, if it's a private student that needs to, you know, re-up the solo endorsement or something like that. So one of the things that if I might put my two cents is what I did, and I've been to a, a lot of different schools, that's for sure, you know, and it's... Uh, it's actually uh, been interesting in that we've we've been able to move into another instructor doing the work by easily just saying, okay, we're gonna we're gonna partner with somebody else. Like for instance, what I did for the first school is I partnered with another instructor and I said, this is somebody I'm gonna groom and have them take over my business. They were very happy to do that. Moved on to another flight school in Texas, another flight school, and another flight school. So, um, although each of those times I had this transition period, one of the hardest things to do, and you found this, is uh, you want to finish everybody up, but you just can't. And and you just have to sit there and, and find somebody who's good that you'll be able to partner with another flight instructor and you can groom to move forward. And that's what you're doing, Tim, which is great. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And uh, I'm glad to say that I have a, a, a great set of colleagues that uh, I can pass folks along to and, and feel very comfortable with that because, you know, not, everybody knows not all CFIs are created equal. And uh, sometimes I just, uh, you know, sometimes you can't recommend people necessarily. Right, right. So uh, before we close out, a couple things. Um, number one, you got on with a regional airline. Uh, you had to get a bunch of stuff together beforehand uh, as far as all your paperwork and that type of thing. What are some of the suggestions you'd have to people as far as things uh, you may have not known or you may have uh, noticed that other people have not been getting prepared for for the airline, maybe making sure they have their... Uh, restricted radio telephone operators permit or something that's funny you mentioned that that was the first thing i was going to say is that 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 process is not exactly the most intuitive and it's uh well, once you finally get it done it's done and it seemed like it was uh not any big deal but actually finding the correct place on the website and making sure you're applying for the correct license uh you know, it can be a little bit of a challenge. So my suggestion there is to find somebody who has done it and just have them sit next to the next to you at the computer and, and point you along. Um, but, uh, you know, another thing would be uh, make sure that your logbook situation is very clean and easy to understand. Uh, they really appreciate being able to look through a logbook and get the information they need uh, without having to dig too much or, you know, go through a bunch of uh, whiteout and things like that. Um the, in my situation, they really appreciated the electronic logbook that I had just printed out very neatly. Uh, I made the decision at about 100 or 150 hours to transfer everything entirely to an electronic logbook. And uh, I still have my old initial paper logbook, uh, but I honestly don't need it anymore because everything has been moved. So you did that, you know, you printed it out in nice, neat style. They, they actually show you in a lot of the logbook software how to do that, and I, I highly recommend doing that. Because, um, you know, you just show up with this paper and it's like, wow, this looks perfect. So that's a great idea. Yeah, they really appreciated that. Um, the other thing, too, is, 
you're preparing to move on, so you're getting ready for training. Um, are, are you doing anything now? Uh, have, has the airline sent you anything to study, or they're just saying, hey, just show up on a certain date? Uh, they haven't sent anything for me to study yet, but I believe they plan to uh, when I'm about 30 days out. Not quite there yet. And so, um, and I, I do plan on working on independently on the ATP written before I go to uh, the airline is actually sending me to a week long ATP CTP course, and uh, they're covering the expense on that. And so, uh, I, I just want to get ahead of the game as much as possible because, you know, frankly, I am. Uh, I guess I don't have a better word other than in- intimidated by the, what what training is going to look like. I know it's pretty intense. I know it's, uh, as people say, drinking from the fire hose, which uh, I, I'm, I'm up for the challenge, but I know it's going to be difficult. Yeah, I think the best thing you can do, we talked about preparing for training in a past episode, is you know make sure you have your family in check and tell them this is what's about to happen. Uh, it's almost like going to basic training. You're you're really locked into this training schedule. Not that things can't vary if you have a problem back home, but for the most part, you really have to concentrate on that. It's a good five to six weeks, sometimes more, uh, when you do th- go through that process. So one thing we want to do, though, Tim, is uh, hear from you uh, when all this process uh, has started or once you're finished with it. Uh, we'd love to have you come back and kind of tell us about your experience, if you could. Oh, I'd, I'd be glad to do that. I love being on the show. Awesome, awesome. Uh, before we close up, Tim, anything else, uh, any advice or uh, other information you'd like to give to some of the listeners uh, about where you are in your career, if they're, they have questions, et cetera, or just some general advice for people moving on that are in your same situation? Uh, well, I guess the best advice I can give, you know, uh, anybody, that, and there are a lot of people that I've talked to that are in my situation, that being, uh, you know, midlife want to uh, maybe pursue a different career, either not so happy with the one they're in, or um, just you know, in my case, it was just aviation was so exciting. And when I heard about uh, the uh, shortage of qualified pilots, I thought, wow, maybe there is an opportunity here for me. Uh, my advice is to find a way to go for it, make it happen, and don't listen to that little voice that says, uh, "You can't do this. You can't afford this. You know, this is not in the cards for you." All that stuff that I told myself for so many years. If you put your mind to it, it's just not true. You can absolutely do this. And, uh, you know, I, I just got hired as an airline pilot at the age of 48. So uh, that says a lot. That's awesome. That, that is terrific. And so it's it's never too late to, to follow your dream, et cetera. You just have to plan like, like you have done, Tim, and that's terrific. Um, boy, I highly recommend people listening to that episode, 156. You can go back and I'll have a link in the show notes. Really interesting, from vice principal at a high school to pilot with an airline and or following along with, with Tim Lake's transition, and this has been absolutely terrific having you on. I can't wait to hear about the process uh, from here on in. We'd love to have you fly in again, if you could, Tim, maybe someday. Uh, stop by. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. I, I thought about doing it again for this interview. Well, that, oh man, we, we'd love to have you. Oh, and by the way, since we are here in Lakeland, just a, a little uh, side note, uh, Tim was actually the first person, so we've kind of to fly in. We've learned a little bit about the process of coming to visit us here at Aviation Careers Podcast and Stuck My Cavcast also. Uh, just let me know when you'll be arriving, uh, and there's two sides of the airport I'm on. I'm either at the north side at Shelt Air, and, uh, or I'm also on the south side at the college because I coach the flight team at the college. And that's actually at the the pump on the the southeast side of the field. 
uh, and the tower can actually direct you there. But let me know where to meet you, you know, when you're coming in. If it's late at night, uh, I usually tell people to kind of direct you down to the south side. So it's a little easier for me to to, uh, to get you through the gate, that type of thing. Um, but it's been wonderful having people stop by and say hi. I love meeting with folks. Uh, even for our career coaching sessions, people fly into either Tampa or Orlando. I'm an hour and five minutes from Orlando Airport. I'm 40 minutes from Tampa Airport. Of course, I'm right here at the end of the runway, runway five, the departure end, uh, two miles actually off the end of the runway. So I can easily make it here at Lakeland. So I'd love to love to meet with you. Um, we talked about doing meetups. What's been happening is I've been flying all over the place and going to air shows. I've been meeting people anyway. Uh, and I talked about that in the past. And we're we're looking at the you know the possibility of doing more meetups. It's just the fact that it's been great actually getting to meet all of you uh, out there. That's for sure. Well, Tim, this has been terrific. Um, if the people want to ask you questions, of course they can write us at feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com, and we'll send those off to Tim. And Tim has been in the past more than willing to to you know follow up on folks. And Tim, we really appreciate having you on. This has been awesome. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I really enjoy it, Carl. And uh, we can't wait to hear more about uh, your journey, and we're going to hear more in the future. Oh, by the way, in the show notes, don't forget to uh, click on the links at the bottom. We uh, visited the Flight Path Museum in Los Angeles. I had a cool little video there and asked an interesting question about IFR flying. So uh, the answer will be in the next episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. That might help some of you folks uh, that are looking at transitioning to the airlines. talks about one of the arrivals going into LAX, so might be interested in that well this has been terrific and you know for having tim on and also being able to inspire people to move forward in their career and you're not too old to start look at what tim has done and and also one thing that's really important is along that journey you know tim's taken some giant leaps and also some small steps to move forward in his career and that's my biggest suggestion to you is that you need to really start now do something today to move forward in your career in your life take one small step to move forward We'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although hosts or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler, all rights reserved.